We're continuing our series today. We've just called How to Thrive When Life is Heavy. And last week we talked about um, how, how to, one of the ways to thrive is you have to first know that life is heavy. You have to realize that your life actually is heavy. That's the way that you you know, can begin to acknowledge and move through it. And then, the, and then the second thought we gave you last week was, and you have to find hope. I don't know a hopeless person that's thriving. Do you? I've never met a hopeless person that's thriving. Now today um, is, is going to be the heaviest day in the whole series. This will be the hardest uh, leg of the journey, so I want to, uh, you know, prepare you for it. We're going to talk about how to let go of your losses, how to let go of your losses. Now, um, this is a heavy day because it hurts to talk about it. But my goal is not to add more pain if you're already in pain or you've had pain or you're experiencing loss or have had loss. My goal is not to make things more painful, but to have a conversation that'll help you heal. And after all, just under the banner of letting your losses go, I thought it was so relevant for Alabama fans. You can let your losses, you can let your losses go, right? Come on. Now, some of you Auburn fans are laughing a little too hard, and I've got a word for you too, because I'm an Alabama fan. We'll help you let go of your whole season. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, okay. All right, calm down. No, nobody, don't run away, okay? All right, I know, I know. So, maybe this is a little more relevant than we expected it to be, you know, when we planned it. Um, all of us suffer loss throughout our life. To suffer loss is what it means to be human. Uh, nobody, nobody gets out of life without enduring some painful moment, some painful loss. And what I wanted to do is just kind of use this backpack this morning as a sort of an illustration of our life and begin to think about some of the losses that we share. And here's what happens to us most of the time. There are a few catastrophic losses but life is more oftentimes bundled up with a lot of little losses. And so discouragement, what discouragement is, is it's a thousand little disappointments that just wear us down a little bit at a time. So let's talk about what some of those losses might look like. Maybe you haven't thought of these before. But, you know, we, we, we're carrying this backpack around, and we, as we grow up a little bit, we lose our innocence. You know, we've heard of that one. And then everybody kind of is born thinking their parents are perfect. You know what's coming. And then there comes that day when you go, no, that, that's not it. They're, they're, <laughs> they're not perfect, so we'll put a little more in there. And then maybe you've uh, been a child of divorce, and so you've suffered. We'll put a little bit more paper in for that. That's kind of heavy. So you might be a child of divorce, and you've had to navigate that loss and then you have losses like pets die, and life changes, friends move away. We all lose our youthfulness. Everybody, every, every younger millennial and Gen Z, look at me. You will lose your youthfulness. I promise. You will lose it. It will not. We'll put some paper in here for you, because it's coming, trust me, whether you want it or not. We, um, sometimes we lose our dreams. We have these dreams that we had about how life might be. Sometimes we lose a dream marriage. Sometimes an affair, unexpected affair shatters in and 
just wrecks our dream. Sometimes we find ourselves single again through some kind of divorce. Change jobs. We move away. We relocate. And we just keep putting. None of these by themselves will take you out. But if you just keep adding them up, then we have empty nest. Our kids move away and that feels like a loss. And then as we age, we lose influence because a lot of our peers start to pass away and life just gets heavier and heavier. And I haven't even gotten to the catastrophic losses yet. And then there's these big losses like, I don't know, the whole world shuts down in a pandemic. And some people lose their senior year. Some people lose their kindergarten year. Some people lose a loved one to COVID unexpectedly too early. And these big losses just come. We lose opportunity. We lose educational building blocks that we should have had in our life. And our little pack just keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And we lose traditions and we lose friendships. And then at some point in your life, everybody unexpectedly loses a family member or a loved one. And it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And then some of us have had the unfortunate experience of having a a loved one in our life or a friend commit suicide. Boy, that's a, um, that's, a, that's a big one. That's heavy. Brings up a lot of hard questions that we don't know how to answer. And then we have issues like um, we lose our health, we lose our job. We have a child that's born handicapped. Man, that's a... I just keep adding that in, in the bag for us to carry around. And there's broken friendships, and there's infertility, and miscarriage, and sometimes a friend betrays you that you really, really trusted, and you thought, they would never say that about me. They would never turn their back on me. They would never distance themselves from me the way that they did. And then there's a loss of memory, and a loss of youthfulness, as we've said. And then there's these giant moments of we lose, a, we lose a loved one, and it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And then we got this bag <laughs> that we're walking around with. And we say, man, and people around us are going, come on, hurry up, let's go. You're like, I'm, I don't, I'm just not as fast as I used to be. You know, maybe I'm getting old. What is it? Why, why is life so heavy? Because we just keep putting these things. And here's the thing about it. Everything that you put in this bag, it's never going to get lighter unless you go through the process of taking some of these things out. Unprocessed emotions never go away. They never go away. You just hold them and you bury them. And they get heavier as the years go by. And then they spread like a slow-moving cancer and they infect your soul and you become cynical And you become discouraged. And you become weighed down. And and you become distrustful. (laughs) And life just doesn't seem to have the same optimism or hope that it once had. And then as you're carrying this bag around, we all know this, right? We've all had a friend, a person, who just comes to us and says something dumb. Now, I want you to know, people don't say dumb things because they're dumb Mostly. 
And people don't say dumb things because they don't care. Sometimes people say dumb things because they don't know what else to say. And so when you're dragging this bag of loss around, sometimes people will come to you and they'll say something like this. If you're from the sports world, hey, just rub some dirt on it. You'll be all right. Don't let it get you down. You'll bounce back soon. Yeah, pull yourself up. You'll be fine. Let's get going. Hey, think about the people who have it worse than you do. Oh, that's so helpful. You can't imagine how much better I feel now. This bag is immensely lighter because I'm now focusing on all the people who have it worse than I do. Or, hey, it's not as bad as the time that I, and you know, just fill in the blank. You're like, I'm so excited to hear about a catastrophe in your life right now while I'm carrying this bag around and my back's broken. It's like not encouraging me that you had an event in your life worse than mine. And then sometimes in the church, we tend to craft little thoughts like this that say, you know, hey, it's all part of God's plan. And what I want to say is, how about I give you God's plan? How about that? How about it's part of God's plan for you? I don't, I don't want to carry it anymore. And then um, sometimes our weight gets heavier because not all of our families processed loss well. In some of our families, the way we process loss is uh, sadness was off limits. Like we weren't allowed to be sad, we weren't allowed to be depressed. So what you learned is just to stuff it down in this bag and just keep moving. Bury it and move on. And then some of our families... When there's a catastrophe or something like that, there's just a lot of yelling and screaming and a lot of ventilated emotions, but none of it's really processed. It's just loud. But nothing really gets better, nothing changes. The weight in the bag doesn't go away. And one of the most popular ways to deal with loss and pain today is just outright addiction. You just binge watch one TV show after another, after another, till you don't even remember what season you're on, hoping that if you just numb out, it'll get better. Or just endless scrolling on social media. Or you just go down into a YouTube hole and think, maybe if I research something fun enough, you know, it'll lift these feelings and make me feel better. And sometimes the addictions get even worse than that. We just try to stay busy and live a noisy life because the worst thing to do when you're hurting, the thing that, that bugs you the most is quiet because there's nothing to think about but the weight. There's nothing to think about but the loss, and it just sits on you. Sometimes we bury ourselves in work, we overeat, we drink, we take pills, we escape through pornography. Sometimes we think, if I can just reconstruct the perfect life and find the perfect spouse and expect perfection from my spouse and have a perfect family and a model home, then I'll feel better. But we're still dragging around this old heavy bag and it just doesn't get any better. And then, sometimes, if you've been a part of the church for a while, you might even learn to put on a spiritual face and say, hey, all things work together for the good of those that love God. And you just keep saying that to yourself, hoping that it'll lighten the load. But you know what? It doesn't lighten the load. Now, here's what's, here's what's amazing. 
That scripture's true, and I believe it with all my heart. But something can be absolutely true and still yet unhelpful in the moment. It doesn't help you process the emotions. It doesn't help you unpack the bag, even though it's true. In that moment, it's unhelpful. And if we're not careful, we learn to associate anger and sadness and grief with being unspiritual. So what is grief? Grief grief is God's gift. It took me a long time to understand that. Grief is God's gift to help you process loss. It's God's gift to help you process loss. I think about it as a, as a healing suffering. Well, that sounds so weird, doesn't it? A healing suffering. It's like surgery. You know, nobody wants surgery. Will it hurt? Yes, it's going to hurt. How long is the recovery? Well, longer than you want it to be. But when I'm done, will I be better? Yes. Grief is like surgery. It, 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 it kind of makes things worse for a little while. But if you go through the process, then things get better. So why would we you know, bother with grief at all? Why, why would we take a whole Sunday and talk about this? Isn't it better just to move on? Isn't it better just to do what a lot of us were taught when we were children? When people are sad, you just leave them alone and let them go deal with it, and maybe the next time you see them, they'll be better somehow. Isn't it better just to not talk about it? I mean, that's how we oftentimes deal with it. And who blames anybody? (laughs) Who wants it? I mean, usually whatever loss has come in your life hurts enough The last thing you want is to hurt more. Who wants to dredge all of it up and go through all of it again? Why not just skip it? Why not just avoid it? Why not just move on? Well, I'm going to give you a statement that I've learned that I believe. And this is the reason that you should not skip it. If you grieve well, you will not grieve forever. If you do not grieve well, you will never heal. If you grieve well, you will not grieve forever. So as bad as it feels, it won't last and you will be better off. But if you don't do the process well, you will will carry this around as long as you live. And it will only collect more weight. It never gets lighter on its own. Unprocessed grief never goes away, and it infects our soul and makes our life heavier. So I want to share something with you today that I've not heard anybody talk about in grief, but I want to share it just to kind of make the case for grief. I want to give you some of grief's benefits. We know it stinks. (laughs) We know it hurts. We know it's hard. We know everybody wants to avoid it. I want to avoid it. But let me give you some benefits. When you go through the grief process, you know what happens to you? You become more humble. It humbles you. And by the way, humility is a cornerstone of a thriving life. I don't know arrogant people that are thriving. They might be successful, but their soul's broken. 
Humility is a cornerstone of a thriving life. Your heart becomes softer, you become more compassionate, and you become more loving, and you become more sensitive to other people's pains. You become a better person. (laughs) Also, pain brings clarity. And you are better equipped to value the right things. You don't get... You don't get sucked into everything that glitters because pain has sifted some of those things out for you and that pain has refined your soul to teach you what really matters most in life, what's really important in life. Pain makes you more trustworthy. It's hard to trust people who've never hurt. It makes you more trustworthy. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. We become more faithful. We become more loyal. We become more dependable when we go through the healing process. We become more fruitful. You know why? Because our bag's lighter. (laughs) When you lighten this bag, you're more fruitful because you're moving through life with more freedom and more ease and more joy. You're not dragging this around. When you're dragging this around, it's like you're fighting the flu the whole time you're trying to function. You're dragging this weight around. You're fighting this private battle that you can't win. We also become more grateful. When you go through the grieving process and you heal, then you begin to receive the good things in your life as a gift because you realize you're not entitled to any of them. And you don't even deserve most of them. But you can celebrate with complete joy and freedom every good thing that comes into your life and receive it as a gift because you say, isn't this good? (laughs) Isn't this good? Because it has not always been like this. Every moment of my life has not been this good. So I know that this is a good moment because I've experienced the other ones. Also, um, 1 Peter 4.1 says that he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Do you know that healing from grief and healing through grief actually helps you battle sin better? You know why? Because when you know the pain of loss, you see the result of sin. Sin creates death. It creates death of the good things of God in your life. It creates death of of the things that God wants to do through your life. It produces death. And when you feel that death, when you're on the receiving end of that death, you say, if that's what sin does... I don't want to be part of that anymore. That's why 1 Peter 4 1 says, He who suffered in his body is done with sin. I see where this is going to go, and I don't want to go. Also, when you do the healing process, you're more at peace, listen to this, without some of the hardest questions in your life answered. Some people drag around unanswered questions for years, and most of them start with the word why. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And those questions can plague you and rob your peace. But when you go through the grieving process and you heal, you can live more at peace with never knowing the answer to some things. Because you know the healer. And it releases some of that tension. So, how do you let go of your losses? I'm going to give you five ways. Number one, name your losses. Name your losses. So um, there's a pastor in America, one of the largest churches in America, about 20,000 people. And he said that he had gotten to a place where he was emotionally numb. 
And he could not any longer feel the highs and lows of life. Everything was just numb. And he said, I knew I was in trouble. I knew something was wrong. So he reached out to a group for help. And here's what a group of people who focus on restoring people. And here's what they told him. They said, look, here's what it almost always is. It's that you've experienced wounds that haven't been processed. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down a list in all the years of ministry, 20 or 30, whatever, however long you've been in ministry, all the years of ministry, I want you to write down a list of all the people who've hurt you. I want you to make a list. And so he made the list. And he said, you know, it was only like seven or eight people in all those years. And the, the, they, that's what they said to him. They said, it's always only about seven or eight people. But he made a list. And they said, now what I want you to do is I want you to walk through each one of those names and I want you to remember what happened and, that I, and then we're going to work you through some time while you're here together with us and we're going we're to individually forgive each one of those people and we're going to let them go. And he said as he walked through the process of forgiveness in time... He recovered and his emotions came back and his joy came back. And he said then he ministered with more grace and joy and life became lighter again. So uh, I've experienced a lot of loss. I think the same thing that happens in a wound happens in a loss. It's very similar. And so what I did a few months ago is I just started a note on my phone. And every time I think of something that I've lost in the last decade, I just write it down. And I've got a little lost note. <laughs> Here's all the things I've lost. And boy, the list is longer than I wish it was. But there it is. Here's the thing. You can't recover from something you can't name. And so it's very important that you name your losses. But I want to show you something that happens when you name your losses. Oh, look what happens. You start to take a little bit of that out. Things start to get a little bit better. Number two, after you name your losses, feel your feelings. Now, this is the exact opposite of burying your feelings. You know, Jesus had a close friend named Lazarus who died. And uh, Mary and Martha and some of the group called for Jesus, and they wanted him to come. And so Jesus arrived on the scene. Lazarus is dead in the tomb. And Jesus walks up to the tomb, and like everybody is holding their breath, wondering, what is Jesus going to do? What is Jesus going to say? And in that moment, Jesus did something that shocked everyone. The Bible says Jesus wept. He just cried. I don't know how you picture Jesus, if you ever picture him. That is not how I picture him. I picture him as like a reigning king, you know. Or like a wise teacher, he's just spinning gold, you know, all this wisdom of the universe is flying out of his mouth. Or he's doing these miracles, he's just walking on water and, you know, multiplying food like a Mardi Gras parade. He's just throwing the food, the loaves and the fish out, you know. Jesus is this incredible miracle worker, a soon coming king. Revelation says he's, you know, he's like riding on a white horse with his sword and all that. That is not the picture I see of Jesus when I picture him in my mind of him crying. Can I tell you something? I think the whole world, I think the whole world would be better off if we could just see Jesus cry. Because I think what it would do is it would give you and I permission to just let some things go. Just let some things out. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus cried. 
Weeping is the cleansing river of emotion. A little over a year ago, my mom went to heaven. And I still just miss her profusely. There's never a good time to lose a loved one. But this, this was particularly a difficult time in my life to lose my mom. And uh, when I got back home from the funeral and tried to put the next few days and few weeks together and say, okay, you know, I've got I've to move forward. What am I going to do? I got, this, I got this weight. I got this weight. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, I remembered that my mom used to love to sit outside. So I went to a park over by a creek and I sat on a bench. And I just pulled out and scrolled through the text that she had sent me in the last year and I just reread them. And I read some of her emails to me and I looked through pictures uh, that she had shared with me or that pictures of her or us when we were little. And I just, I just cried. I just wept. I felt such deep loss and sorrow. And I never tried to, I didn't try to hide it. I didn't try to bury it. I didn't try to cover it up with something else. And then the next day, I went back to the same park, and I did the same thing. And over the next few weeks, I did that a lot. And as time went by, you know what happened? Look, what happened is it just started to get a little bit lighter. Started to let go and just lighten my load a little bit through feeling those feelings When you're in a time of loss, the only way you're ever going to unpack it is you're going to have to feel the feelings. You can't cover them up. You can't hide them. You can't shoo them away with something fun or exciting or good or distracting. You've actually got to feel them. Number three, grieving community. You know the New Testament church, is they've got this incredible vision in the Bible of this group of people that stick together through thick and thin. Like, no matter what's going on, they're committed to each other, and they're going to help see each other through. And so, in the New Testament, you have this group of people who celebrate each other's wins together, and they also share each other's losses together, and they build each other up. Romans 12, 15 says it like this, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. At Kingwood Church, we say this all the time, life is better together. But I want to add one new thought to that today. Even when life is not good, life is better together. Even when it's not good. You shouldn't go through the bad parts of life alone because that's worse. Life is better together. Community makes grief lighter and it helps with healing. You know, uh, Jesus when he realized his death was imminent, he called Peter and James and John to come alone, gather alone with him and pray, because in his humanity, he needed the support. (laughs) If Jesus needed community in the toughest points of his life, so do you and I. We need that connectivity. And so I want to encourage you, there are people at Kingwood Church who are spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. And if you're in a time of loss or the next time that you're in a time of loss, reach out to someone you trust and say, I'm just 
hurting because I'm experiencing this. And I can't tell you the people in my life who I've just shared pieces of grief with. Nobody can carry the whole thing. But you don't need anybody to carry the whole thing. You just need someone to carry a piece and this person to carry a little piece and this person to carry a piece. And every time you do that, the pack gets lighter. So tonight, we have soak. The third Sunday night of every month, we have soak. And tonight, I want to invite everyone to come. If you're in the local area online, I want you to come tonight at 5.30 because we are going to be, it's going to be a healing service. And we're going to be praying for healing and God's grace over all of our losses. Now, maybe you say, well, I, I haven't lost anything recently. Does not matter. When you come and share this moment together, it makes you a stronger part of the community, and it makes the community stronger. So, when you grieve in community, you know what happens? Here we go again. There's just a whole nother piece of the weight that comes out. Number four, wait on God. Now, I've got to make some confessions here. I hate waiting. Anybody? Anybody with me? I hate it. I hate to wait. The worst thing I can do is go somewhere and somebody say, you know, you have to wait. I'm the guy that always looks for the shortest line in traffic, and I'm, you know, playing Frogger across the traffic, because I think, I'm just convinced that this car is a half a length faster than all the other cars. So I'll go over there, and then I'll go over there, and I'll go over there. Anybody do that? I'm embarrassed to tell you how many times I've come to a standstill traffic jam in traffic, and my GPS will give me an alternate route that is longer and slower. You know what's, what I do, right? And I'll take it every time because I'm moving. <laughs> and 10 minutes later feels better to me when I'm moving than 10 minutes faster, and I'm sitting here staring at taillights. Anybody? Every time I go somewhere and there's this gigantic line or you say, how long's your wait, an hour? I feel like part of me dies. Oh, God, are you serious? I'm going to look back from eternity and regret this, you know, that I lost this time. Somebody told me when I was younger, on average, we spend six months of our lives at red lights. I hate that. That drives me insane. Six months? You know, there for a while I tried to, no, I wasn't running them. I wasn't doing that. I'm just saying. When I walk somewhere with a group, I'm almost always out in front. Not because I know where I'm going. I just want to be wherever we're going. I don't want to be walking. They're like, why are you walking so fast? Because we're, we're not there yet. Why would you not be walking fast? I hate, I hate waiting. I hate it. I despise it. I identify with Abraham who waited on the promised child for 11 years and said, forget this. We're having a kid another way. I'm out. I have so been tempted so many times to take God's plan in my own hands because God is so slow sometimes. Have you ever been tempted to take matters in your own hands? Say, God, I'm tired of waiting. Here's the thing about waiting, though. The invitation of God in grief is waiting. The invitation of God in grief is to wait on him and not rush ahead and do it your own way. Listen, your losses may not be your fault, but they are your responsibility to pursue God in healing. 
or else you won't heal. Lamentations 3.24 says this, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. What does portion mean? God is your source. He's your resource. He's your help. Only He knows when you're healed. And only He knows what your next step is in the healing process. So you have to wait for Him. You can't hurry it up. You can't hurry grief up. You can't skip to the end. You know, look, my, my impression, my intuition, and a lot of ours is, is we get to a place like this and we go, forget one through four. What's the fifth step? Just Let's go from here to five. You can't heal that way. You cannot heal that way. You have to do the other steps. And So what does it look like to wait on God in grief? It looks like that you come to God in times of honest prayer, expressing true emotion. I had a dear friend in one of the darkest stretches of my life who was able to share this truth with me, and it helped me so much. Do you know what happens when you're expressing anger to God because you're so mad, because you can't believe what you're going through, and you can't believe how unfair it is, and you can't believe how you're experiencing tragedy after tragedy, and you're just pouring out and saying these things to God, half accusing Him? You know what that's called? Prayer. Angry prayer is prayer. And so you're still going to him with it. You're still going at him with it. And so you have to come with your honest emotions. That's what waiting on God in grief looks like. You're just spewing it all out. You know why? He can handle it. You're not the first one. You're not going to say something to God he's not hurting. He already knows you think it anyway. You just say it. You know why? Because it helps your soul to say it. And when you meet God in that honesty and waiting, oh, let me tell you what happens. Oh, something amazing happens. All this weight. Oh, not the first time. Just don't get any romantic ideas. It's not pretty. It's snotty and runny and all that. But after a while, you just keep doing it, and this thing just keeps getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Number five, the number you've been waiting on all morning. <laughs> Experience new birth. Now let me tell you why this is important. Because to a Christian, Christian theology says that death is never final. Because on the third day, Jesus kicked open the tomb. And he came back from the dead. And he shattered graves all over Jerusalem. And he tore the veil from top to bottom. And he made a way for us to enter into the holy place with the Father. God is the God of resurrection, but watch this, not just the God of Jesus' resurrection. In your lifetime and my lifetime, we will have many losses and we will have many deaths. Parts of our lives will die, dreams will die, people that we love will die, we will experience many deaths, but we will equally experience as many opportunities for resurrection and new birth, if we'll go through the process. So... 
Jesus, when he was close to death, he knew, he knew his followers had no theology. He knew they had no framework to understand God who would come to earth, teach and do miracles, and then just die. They had no way to understand it, and he knew it. So he tried to prepare them. And in one of these moments of preparing them, he taught them a resurrection principle. And I want to read it to you in John 12, 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In Jesus' death, he produced so much life. Do you, you know... This little apple. You look at this and you say, it's just an apple. It's just an apple unless it dies. And once it dies, the seeds inside are released and it becomes an apple orchard. <laughs> and it can feed thousands upon ten thousands upon ten thousands of people. And that's what our life is like. We go through these moments of death. We go through these moments of loss. We go through these moments of pain. But after the pain, if we do the process, do you know what's after that? New life. <laughs> New life. Jesus wants to resurrect. He never stopped at his own resurrection. But, he, but you can't get to resurrection unless you go through death. You have to go through it. And it hurts. But what happens when you go through it, look at this. You find out that there was weight in there you didn't even know was in there. Like I started unpacking this stuff and this thing was worse than I thought. What is in there? Then you start carrying this around and you say, oh my goodness, life has gotten so, so much better. It's gotten so much better because I healed through the process. There, there's a lady in our church named uh, Connie Carter. I don't know if she's here this morning. Connie had been married for decades and lost her husband. And she went through a process of healing and grieving. And as she came out of that process, she came to me and said, I just know there are people who hurt the way that I hurt. And I just think a church ought to be right in the front line of helping people like that. So I just feel like God's given me a vision. You hear that? A vision, a new birth to help people. And she started a ministry called Grief Share in our church. And for years, out of her own pain... Hundreds of people came through. And you, I, I remember on Tuesday nights, I'd be leaving sometimes, and she'd be there setting up with a team, and she'd, be, uh, she'd just be setting everything out, and she was smiling because she did not keep that pain stuffed down in there. She let it out. Jeremy, our worship pastor and youth pastor here at Kingwood, when his wife, his first wife, was suffering... And it just looked so bad. She suffered and eventually died. But when they were in the worst leg of it, I would, I'd just pray for them. And, I'd, and I remember Jeremy and I talking about that one day. And he's saying, what do you pray when you pray for me? And I said, I, I just pray for resurrection. I don't know. I don't, 
I just didn't want him to go through it anymore. I didn't want him to hurt anymore. I didn't want, and I knew that God was a God of resurrection, but I didn't, in that moment, I knew nothing else. I just prayed for resurrection. Yesterday, I sat at his home with his second wife and their little daughter who had a birthday party yesterday. She's one. And I held her in my arms and I looked in her little eyes and I saw resurrection. And I never knew that's what it would look like. (laughs) I never knew. Can I tell you, God is good. Life is hard and it hurts and things happen sometimes that aren't fair and they're wrong. And they're just wrong. But God doesn't cause them. And God wants to heal you. And he wants you to flourish. But man, it only comes. We're only going to thrive. We're only going to walk around with this light bag. If we will go through the process with Jesus of unpacking it. Would you stand with me? Our worship team is going to lead us in this incredible song about the power of Jesus' death. And as they do, I want to say to those of you who are going to be baptized in a few minutes, if you would go ahead and move um, to where you need to be to change and to prepare, we're going to be celebrating that new birth (laughs) with them in just a minute. But man, as we're here together, I just want to encourage you, if you're online, our prayer team is ready to pray with you. And they've been praying for you throughout the morning. So if you need prayer, I want you to jump in the comment section and just just tell us how we can pray for you. We'd love to meet you in that moment. And for all of us, would you just open your heart for a minute, close your eyes and say, Lord, today I give you my losses. I give you my hurt. I give you the things that have happened. I give you my tears. I give you my sorrow. And God, I pray today that you would come and heal.